0: Hello Captives and Captive friends and welcome to episode 43 of the Global Captive Podcast, supported by Legacy Specialists R&Q and hosted by me, Richard Kutcher. Just a reminder that the best way to get notified of every episode of the podcast and downloaded straight to your mobile device or tablet is to subscribe for free on your podcast app of choice. Just search for Global Captive Podcast on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Overcast, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts from, and hit follow or subscribe. Well, we have loads to bring you over the next 30 minutes or so, and in the second half of the episode, we'll be hearing from Dr. Lena Johns, Head of Health and Wellness at Maxis Global Benefits Network, and coming up shortly is the captive owner interview with a good friend of mine, Heiko Ditzel, Director of Risk Finance and Transfer at sports giant Adidas. But co-host for us today and another good friend of mine and one of Lena's colleagues at Maxis, I am delighted to welcome Ricardo Almeida, Head of Business Development. Ricardo, welcome to the pod. All right. Thank you, Richard. Thank you for having me here today. Ricardo, I'd I'd much prefer that we were doing this in person, particularly in your hometown of Miami, a a place I I love and and do know very well, or or even in Bermuda, Ricardo, where we spent some time together before. But alas, uh, this this very anonymous uh, screen will have to do. Perhaps before we dive into some of the employee benefits activity this year, though, could you tell us uh, and our listeners a little bit about you and, and your background?
1: Uh, Yes, Richard. Uh, As you know, I was born and raised in Brazil and I came to the U.S. when I was uh, 17 years old to study economies and I got an international MBA with focus on global finance. In 1999, I joined Alico, which got acquired by MetLife, which is one of the owners, together with AXA, of Maxis and been doing many different technical and leadership roles within the organization. Four years ago, I joined Maxis, and now I'm the global business development leader for Maxis, and it's truly an amazing role. I typically spend my days working with my, my teams, which are experts in global employee benefits and risk financing, with consultants and brokers, with key members, insurance companies in over 120 countries, and then mostly important with many multinational companies designing and shaping the global benefits programs.
0: Yeah, so obviously uh, quite a long history, Ricardo, in in essentially Maxis and, and Met Life before that. So, uh, obviously, really on top of the of this employee benefits topic, and we we have talked quite a bit about employee benefits uh, during the year, not just not just with Maxis uh, on the podcast, and and all of the statistics and anecdotal evidence that I hear from you know captive managers and EB consultants over the past two to five years has really pointed to accelerating interest in. Captive EV programs and, and your colleague Paul milkey did did touch on this in our recent GCP short. Has has that interest, despite everything, has that interest continued to manifest in, in 2020?
1: Oh, absolutely. The the interest is there more than ever. You know, since I joined Max actually four years ago, and we already had a, a large portfolio in place, but we more than doubled our portfolio both in number of clients as well as in the volume, right? And if you just think about this year, we actually already implemented more than 10 really large global employee benefit programs. And also what I I think what is very interesting and I would like to highlight is that we are actually seeing uh, some additional mega trends emerging on these areas. And perhaps that's the reason why we're seeing additional growth, right? As you know, like typically, organizations want to put the employee benefits into the captive because it provides great governance. It provides risk diversification. It does provide as well uh, and allow them to leverage on economies of scale. But now what we also starting to see is them including, number one, the health programs, their medical programs around the world into the captives. And they do that because, as we know, the medical trend, medical inflation is quite high and continues to increase. And through the captives, they can try to bend the trend. And they've been quite successful in doing that. And then the other trend that I'm seeing in the last year, which really comes close to my heart is the fact of diversity, inclusion and equity, right? So basically, as you know, like the captives have the risk and therefore they also have the the say and some additional flexibilities. And what the new captives are doing is using their additional flexibility there to create more equitable uh, and drive their employee value proposition Within the organization. So they are creating much better and broader benefits in terms of conditions for the employees around the world that in the past some of the local insurance companies have maybe been reluctant to implement and put in place.
0: Yeah, that last point, Ricardo, is really really interesting because we we hear so many different kinds of drivers in society at the moment, including probably you know bigger than ever in terms of recruiting well, you know, being a good recruiter as as a as, a, as an organisation attracting the right kind of talent. A lot of that can come down to the kind of packages, including employee benefits you can offer, a whole range of of diverse uh, workforce. So it makes sense that that would be a, a really big selling point right now. And what what impact then has the pandemic had on EB programs more broadly. Do we do we expect to see what kind of what kind of uh, short or longer term effects do we expect the pandemic to have on EB programs?
1: Yeah, it's really on the moments of crisis that we do see how the global programs work and how well the companies manage to take care of their employees. Actually, in general, most companies that do have captive programs performed much better than the ones that do have a decentralized decision making and is still managing the benefits at lo- local level the two main reasons for that is basically risk diversification as well as governance so for example if a specific country has been particularly hit very hard by the covid crisis you know the captives might be able to benefit from positive experience that they might have faced in countries where COVID did not hit as severe as the other ones, right? So this, of course, allows captives to continue to benefit from creating stability and, and benefiting from their economies of scales and diversification. Also, on the governance side, the centralized captive programs really has helped uh, these organizations to adapt to the challenged circumstances from the COVID. In the short term, it was really about capturing the information and understanding what coverages were in place in each country, in each market. And here at Maxis, we really helped all the organizations by creating a website where they could see what was covered or not in each one of the given markets with the insurance carriers that they have. And then once the the captives have the visibility on this data, then they could make really good strategic decisions in terms of deciding if they would follow the fortune or not, you know. And basically following the fortune means that, you know, like that the companies will, captive companies will continue following the local insurance carriers on the conditions that they have in place Or if the case that there was maybe a a local insurance carriers that did have epidemic or a pandemic exclusion in place, if regulatorily allowed, you know, the captive could say, yes, we would like to eliminate this uh, condition, you know, this exclusion, and we would like to take care of our employees. The good thing here is that, you know, the captives have the risk and therefore they also have the say and the flexibility to allow them to adapt the strategies better to their employees on these very stressful times, right? Another component that that has been also very important here has really been also as uh, Lina is going to talk about the the health and wellness component and as well mental health, which has been quite impactful across the world here, right? And companies, again, through the centralized reporting and employer access To the risks they were able to put many better and proactive managed programs in place so here at maxis you know we had several clients working with us in implementing global telemedicine programs through care clicks employee assistance programs uh behavior changing programs with Intervent and some of uh, the other health and wellness solutions that, that we have. And then finally, the big question that everybody is really facing here today is really about the future, right? So there is a lot of discussions still about the impact of, of COVID on the medical claims. You have the lo- lockdowns and claim suppressions during the periods, you know, but what does that really mean? Does that mean that the people can cancel elect surgeries and they're going to come back and do them later? You know, also, we're looking at uh, the life and the disability component with all the data that is in place today. So today, you know, like the reality is that nobody is really... 100% sure about the the impact. You know, there's still many variables, and you know, still foreseeing and hoping that this vaccine is gonna come as soon as possible and work as well as they're promising, um, and we're seeing across the media. But the medical impact on trend, you know, for the next year and beyond, is uncertain, and the captives do have, again, a little bit of more uh, flexibility to look at at this risk and better manage within the flexibility that they have in place.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Ricardo. That's uh, that's a really good summary of all the different areas that, that the pandemic has touched upon in regarding uh, employee benefits programs and some things to look out for in, in the future as well. But we are now going to hear from Heiko Ditzel, Director of Risk Finance and Transfer at Adidas, based in Germany. Adidas owns a captive in Dublin, Ireland, and Heiko began by telling me about his role and background in insurance. <laughs> Thanks,
2: Richard. First of all,
0: uh, thanks for having me
2: and thanks also for giving me the great opportunity to be part of the game-changing Global Captive
0: (laughs) podcast. Um, Thank you, (laughs) Heike.
2: So I actually started my career, you know, focusing purely on corporate pension schemes in the domestic German market about 19 years ago and developed into, you know, like a more international role following an internship at Generali Employee Benefits back in 2007 And now about to celebrate my 10 years anniversary at Adidas, obviously the best sports company in the world,
0: responsible,
2: you know, for our risk finance and transfer strategy and leading a team of two experts in Germany, but also in the US. And actually quite proud and, and grateful to enjoy the confidence of Adidas in my team and me to rock the insurance activities at Adidas. So the main purpose of my current role is to secure the financial health of our company through efficient and innovative risk financing, transfer and mitigation of relevant
0: exposures anyone that's met Heiko face to face i think Heiko, you do do a good job in rocking the risk insurance world so i think that's a <laughs> <of> your... <laughs> so Heiko, obviously you touched there on obviously the, the kind of the risk financing side of things obviously the risk financing world has changed quite significantly over the last 18 months to two years with this with this hardening market what what is if you could uh, you know describe to me kind of what your experience has been of this of this hardening market for you kind of what's been your, your main takeaway so far
2: yeah, very a good and relevant question. Uh, also, I, I want to be obviously not really emotional here and, uh, you know, to stick to be professional. But honestly speaking, probably not only me, but also my team didn't really make any really good experience in particular due to the massively changed, harsh tone, the lack of partnership, but also the lack of relevance of, you know, the traditional and commercial insurance carriers and market. And without, you know, like properly explaining why an increase is needed or why capacities are actually being reduced, coverage being restricted, increased deductibles, it's quite difficult, you know, to explain it even the adverse development to your sea level. So that is a little bit what we are facing at the moment. And unfortunately, it's not like in the past one line of risk. It's basically across all lines of risk, which is making it even more complicated, especially now with, you know, less revenue due to the COVID-19 situation. So we do understand the principle of insurance, but subsidizing bad performing contracts, business fields, high costs, or even questionable underwriting decisions can't be simply accepted. Many insurance carriers are jeopardizing well-established, respectful, and professional relationships, making the insurance market less relevant in the future.
0: Yeah, certainly that echoes with with other reviews I've heard of the last eighteen months with other insurance managers, and 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 something we discussed offline previously, Heiko, was you know this is you're you're of an age where this is you're experiencing a hard market for the first time. So for someone that who's experiencing a hard market for the first time, what would be your observation or advice to to other young risk professionals?
2: I mean, first and foremost, it's probably you know not only relevant to young risk managers because I don't believe that many risk managers worldwide uh, really faced a hard market situation. I mean, 9/11, very uh, sad and bad situation, and obviously afterwards. The market completely changed, but, you know, in the last 15 years or so, the market was quite, quite soft. What I would, you know, encourage, you know, young managers or, you know, like risk managers facing a hard insurance market is really to stay ahead of the game, to be prepared, you know, for the unknown. And what we read quite often these days is, you know, like the word resilience. How can we basically be also from a risk management perspective resilient? So that is kind of like key to have that in mind, but also to early manage expectations internally, but also externally, meaning that the communication is also quite key. Seeking other perspectives to drive better decisions, because sometimes it's just your little group. And at Adidas, we have a group of six people to talk to, but without you know peers in the market, without these other perspectives, we wouldn't be able to really come up with some really good changing decisions. And making things is important, but making a difference is probably even more important. And understanding that you are being more the business enabler and not the preventer, it's probably what I would you know, encourage risk managers to focus on.
0: In terms of, uh, obviously, obviously, captives, it's very interesting. I find it very interesting that this is my first hard market experiencing it as a, as a journalist or as a commentator. And for the kind of four or five years I spent at Captive Review, it was, it was very much a soft market. And captives, of course, were talked about. And there's large companies like yourselves and many, many others that have captives, which are relevant in all types of, of market cycles. But now captives are the flavor of the month again, or flavor of the Year or two years, whatever, whatever it is. What what role do you expect captives to play for corporates as they navigate this market cycle? And, and particularly, as you said, uh, Heiko, in your own words, about enabling business. You know, how can captives uh, help to enable their business in in, uh, in in this kind of hard market cycle?
2: What we try to do is basically to, you know, eliminate a pricing volatility and ensure yeah. rather the long term stability. So to becoming more independent from the insurance market. It's probably one, you know, important role going forward. It was already the case in the past, but even more relevant these days. I'm a little bit more concerned that even, you know, like, I don't know, like out of 10 feasibility studies, not many, you know, like companies are really establishing a captive these days because of the capital requirements and so on and so forth. But I think it would be probably better to focus on it in a long term run and to start really trying to participate in the risk which is not only financially positive but also non-financially to you know uh, get the level of transparency needed to make data driven decisions that would be probably you know my thought around that and that of course you know like starting to look into rather non-traditional Lines of risk, be it now pandemic, which I doubt the captive will be, you know, like sorting out the problem because I mean, even providing certain limits, it it doesn't mean, you know, that a company will be able to survive a pandemic if you lose whatever 20% of your revenue at Adidas. It might be billions that a coverage of whatever it is, like five to 10 million, it's probably not making any difference. Yeah. So that is, you know, on the other side to be also considered, but on the other non-traditional parts, be it reputation, be it the uh, rather intangible um, assets, um, that is also what we can certainly look in.
0: Obviously, captives are the flavor of the month, as, as I mentioned, but are there other Alternative tools that risk managers you think should be using in this environment, whether it's connected to the captive or not, is there other areas that you're interested in exploring?
2: Sometimes I wonder if you know in the past because of the soft markets, you know, we all started, and and that is not only blaming the insurance industry or market. I think it is also about us, the policyholder, trying to use a soft market when there was no pricing reduction that we started to obviously enhance the benefits, even if we don't really need it or to ask for an additional limit. So I wonder if it would then make sense these days to rather revisit the insurance programs to see what is really needed and to also review and revisit the company's risk appetite to look into, you know, like risk-bearing capacities, be it through captive, be it through risk retention groups or be it purely through self-insurance, right? But I think that is probably also uh, quite interesting uh, interesting to look into and also to if you say that founding a captive um, like your own captive be it direct underwriting or reinsurance is also associated with heavy cost in the beginning so not really short-term uh, benefits but then to rather look into other alternatives like rent a captive like a protected cell for instance might be also interesting where you have disadvantages, but also some other advantages, which is also playing into, you know, like cost savings.
0: The Global Captive podcast is supported by R&Q, the award-winning provider of exit solutions for legacy liabilities and companies in runoff. R&Q can provide a wide range of solutions and has A-rated paper across the United States and Europe. LPTs, novations, business transfers and acquisition are all frequently used and tailored to the seller's requirement, whether in runoff or fully active, but seeking greater efficiency. If you have legacy, you should talk to R&Q. Well, I thought that was really good to hear from Heiko Ditzel there and, and certainly looking forward to catching up with Heiko in person somewhere in Europe, hopefully next year. We will be back with Ricardo shortly, but next up we are joined by Dr. Lena Johns, Head of Health and Wellness at Maxis Global Benefits Network. Lena begins by explaining how our dramatically changed work environments have altered the priorities and challenges for large organizations in looking after employees' health and wellness.
3: Yeah, our workplaces have changed, haven't they? And this has, of course, created new dynamics that in turn have created new demands on employers and how they approach the health and wellness of their employees. Um, some of the negative outcomes, like negative mental health outcomes, were more or less anticipated. Certainly, the news of a brand new novel coronavirus that people knew nothing about previously. The resultant lockdowns, the constant barrage from the news media about the number of cases and fatalities, the closure of businesses and schools, uh, the 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 loss of social connectedness—of course, all of this has stressed our human family. And as I mentioned, there were some negative outcomes that were anticipated as a result of all of this. But not everyone anticipated some of the other negative spillovers. The disruption of healthcare delivery, for example, the fact that our brick and mortar healthcare establishments would be shut down to our healthcare needs. None of us anticipated that. Patients had to forego their appointments and procedures as healthcare providers followed their state and national guidance and whether they were shut down because they wanted to make more ICU beds available to treat those with COVID or address the shortage of personnel. As we now know, doctors were reassigned to COVID floors or to deal with the shortage of personal protective equipment, whatever the cause may be. All of that meant regular medical services and procedures and treatment suffered. Prevention and screening of diseases, for example, that were routinely happening at our medical providers, they got disrupted cardiac procedures and cancer treatments got postponed. And this morning, the CDC just released a report uh, stating that in the ages of 25 to 44-year-olds, there were 77% more excess deaths that were not COVID-related. And one of the reasons they suspect is, of of course, the disruption in healthcare delivery that happened to other medical conditions that we saw during this pandemic. This disruption to regular healthcare uh, was one of the first things that alarmed our multinational employers, the ones that we work with. And there was a massive request from them for virtual healthcare services as as more and more of our customers began to recognize the potential impact of this delayed treatments and and appointments um, that never happened for medical conditions, regular medical conditions. And we as Maxis, we were well positioned to help our clients in this area. Uh, and, And why is that so? Well, that's because in 2018, we had set up Maxis. Um, global wellness marketplace, which is a consortium of wellness vendors that included a telemedicine vendor. For example, CareClix is a company that we work with. It includes an EAP vendor. It includes a musculoskeletal vendor, a telemental vendor, um, and, and, and so targeted wellness vendors we had set up. Primarily, we set them up as a reaction to the cost drivers we were seeing in our claims data. But that far-sightedness stood us in good stead during this pandemic. Um, initially, and even as recently as this year, early this year to be, uh, to be more specific, um, so many of our, of, of our corporate customers were a bit reluctant to fully explore telemedicine or virtual healthcare, because people preferred that face-to-face approach with their doctors, But that's what this pandemic did. It took away that option from the table. People had to adapt to the new dynamics. Um, So virtual delivery of healthcare, I would say, was one of the most requested services from our corporates. And I would say that COVID-19 was a turnkey event in changing uh, ways of delivering healthcare. And another priority for employers has been the mental health um, impact of the pandemic. As a society, we were not prepared for the prolonged shutdown and the impact it has had on businesses, our finances, and on our families. And so employers have been requesting access to financial advisors, for instance, mental health counselors, and that's when the services of an EAP becomes fully known and recognized. And we have partnered with an EAP vendor that was able to help many employers with their situations during this time.
0: Yeah, it's it's really interesting, Lena, because you've when I when I asked you that question, I was I, in my head, I was uh, naturally thinking more about people working from home, uh, how that's kind of changed how organizations look after their employees. But I think it's really interesting that what you said about the kind of the wider impacts on all of our healthcare systems and hospital systems, whether they're kind of public systems or private systems, has created such other challenges, which was not something that I I would have thought of immediately. So it's really interesting to have that insight. You, you've touched a little bit on. On some of the steps that you've started to see, particularly with embracing telemedicine, but what what are some of the other steps that you've seen corporates take in response to these dramatic changes and disruption in, in looking after their their employees and ensuring their their, their health and wellness?
3: Yeah, sure. So the physical and mental health of employees during this pandemic period has been foremost in the minds of uh, corporates and many corporates have left no stone unturned in getting access to wellness solutions to their employees. Many have fast-tracked their own internal processes to ensure that all red tapes and delays were overcome and their their employees had access to wellness solutions. Um, One of our clients, for example, they are a major banking and financial entity. Uh, They fast-tracked their own internal processes. There was involvement right from their CEO, ensure that there was buy-in and involvement from their C-suite members to fast-track their own processes. Uh, in bringing telemedicine that was one of the things that were foremost in their minds. They wanted to make sure that all of their employees had access to medical care. Um, and so they launched a telemedicine program with us in multiple continents and countries um, uh, in a face manner. Um, so some of them focused on, on the telemedicine services. There were many of our, of our clients who were more concerned about the mental health um, impact during this period. Um, some of our other corporate clients, they went a step ahead and they focused on musculoskeletal impact that the situation of working often long hours from home in a potentially ergonomically challenging environment or situation was causing on their employees. Um, many of the employees, they have had to adapt quickly to makeshift offices. Um, in their bedroom or on their kitchen table um, and or their dining table or whatever, and neck and back pains, shoulder pains were on the rise as a uh, as a result of this, and a fact compounded by the lack of access uh, to doctors to medical facilities. So we are fortunate to be working with the Musculoskeletal vendor where the focus is on home-based exercise therapy with access to physiatrists and uh, orthopedicians from the comfort of one's own home. So employees could get access to a plethora of recovery programs and information on how to strengthen their joints and how to avoid musculoskeletal injuries, particularly in a home environment. Um, Another call out information during this pandemic was the disproportionate way um, that this disease targeted people with chronic conditions. And pre-existing medical conditions, suddenly the spotlight shone on them because they were the ones that were most likely to suffer from complications of COVID. Um, Studies have also found a high percentage of Physical inactivity. Physical inactivity existed even before COVID-19 lockdown, but all of this home confinement has just exacerbated uh, the the physical inactivity problem. And many employers wanted to ensure patients with such chronic diseases as diabetes and hypertension, they were getting the support that they needed to get through this new reality.
0: Well, obviously, as we said before, obviously, a lot of disruption has has taken place as a result of COVID. And it has changed a lot of areas that organizations need to focus on. Um, in terms of looking ahead, Lena, obviously, things have already changed a lot in how people are acting. What, what do you think corporates who do uh, have such wellness programs in place or have increasingly had to put Programs in place because of the pandemic. What do you think they've had? What do you think they've learned from these past nine months? For which will help them in in future events.
3: Interesting questions and much needed as well. Because prior to COVID, so many corporates saw wellness as something of a nice to have. But COVID has firmly seared the critical importance of having wellness access to employees. And this pandemic has opened the eyes of corporates um, that perhaps in the past were a bit skeptical of wellness in recognizing the importance of having wellness resources readily available and on hand. And many corporates, um, uh, they've realized how perhaps we are at the mercy of forces of nature or geopolitical situations or, or whatever untoward events the future may hold, and they don't want to be in a position. Uh, where their employees are are kind of left stranded. So we've learned that it doesn't take long for a situation to change, that we have a drastic impact on our physical, mental, social, financial lives. And employers don't want to be caught unprepared. Uh, Many of our large corporates have rolled out global telemed programs worldwide for their employees. Some others have made sure that their employees have access to EAP services or telemental services or that their employees with chronic disease management were not left stranded should this come on us again. So wellness has taken on a broader definition. It's not merely solely about educating employees or making digital apps or appliances like Fitbits available. It encompasses the whole spectrum of employee services that are all their determinants of health, physical health, mental health, social, financial, emotional? And it can nicely overlay with local medical plans and it can be rolled out from the center under EB program.
0: Just lastly, Lena, can you, can you highlight, and you've touched upon, I think, a couple of them there, but can you highlight any success stories of where a captive program in particular has been proactively used to provide additional wellness support to employees?
3: Yeah. So captive employers certainly have an advantage. They have an edge over other types of arrangements in that they can set strategy centrally for wellness. They can get buy-in from their local stakeholders through a variety of ways. They can, for instance, they can offer discount on premiums to their local counterparts in a captive arrangement, providing the locals with that added incentive to participate in wellness initiatives and make success of it. They can reward them Uh, On the results seen. So, for example, a certain percentage of discount for X percentage of successful metrics that the locals can deliver, like decrease in absenteeism or a measurement of health metric like combined weight loss or steps taken. Here you go. You get in those successful metrics and we give you an X percentage of discount. So that's certainly possible when you have an architecture like a captive arrangement, uh, because it allows for some centralization of the process. And this could be more of a challenge with non-captives. Locals, uh, in those instances, they make their own decisions. And they sometimes may not see eye to eye with their global head office. So those are some of the challenges when the arrangement is not uh, a captive. Captives, they need to keep the costs down and they are more willing to set strategies that would bend the trend and control rising costs, especially using health and wellness.
0: Welcome back to the Global Captive podcast, where I am joined by Ricardo Almeida of Maxis. Ricardo, we just heard from uh, your colleague Lena Johns about how organizations' perspective and approach to wellness programs have changed as the pandemic has unfolded and of course there has been a lot of lessons learned as we mentioned over the past nine months do you do you expect to see the wellness opportunities and advantages from involving a captive in an EB program become kind of even more emphasized and an even bigger driver of the movement towards captive programs in the future
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, like, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we want to bend the trend as the healthcare costs keep increasing at a faster rate than inflation, right? And uh, as we saw with the COVID, it's very clear the infectious diseases are still playing a really big role in what we do. But mostly important, we see that the lifestyle diseases are picking up quite quickly. And that's the area where health and wellness we allow us to proactively manage much better the risks and the outcomes, right? So we did see this huge uptake during COVID in terms of employee assistance, the telemedicines, uh, mental health and wellness, right? But we're going to continue investing on that and also looking much more at the individual holistic Taking consider, in consideration, not not only the physical well-being of the individual, but also the mental and the financial part, which play a, a significant component of health and wellness programs.
0: So Ricardo, you mentioned at the beginning I asked you about kind of recent activity and, and the level of interest in level of interest in employee benefits programs, but I wanted to drill down a little bit specifically into the into the Americas market. There are some large captive owners across across the Americas, both north and south. do, you, do, you, do we see them going down the, the EV route EV route now or or in the future in the same way that we've seen so many European multinationals go down that route?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So when we're looking at the, the world of captives, right, what we did see was the European captives, as you said, uh, first people coming on and implementing their, their captives. The American companies picked up quite quickly and are developing. So we're seeing a huge uptake in numbers of captives. Right now, specifically in the U.S., but then uh, I do also see the new frontier, right? So we're we starting to talk with Canadian companies, the famous Mota Latinas. We already have uh, one large one in place. I'm talking to many others. And we we, we feel that we're going to see a big increase there, right? Uh, we also see Asia as the next frontier. But overall, when we're thinking about captives around the world, if we just... Uh, see when we mentioned that we now have about 100 plus employee benefit captives in place, this is really just the beginning of the journey, right? In mean, the PNC side, we have 5,000 plus captives out there. So, you know, we're going to see a huge uptake. And, and I think from everything that we discussed here today, it really makes sense, you know, not only from a finance perspective, but uh, as well as in driving this value proposition and the competition for talent.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and just lastly, in terms of those those specific regions, and this is this is a a, a question that could base a whole other whole uh, t- uh, podcast interview, I think. But are there any kind of unique unique opportunities or, or challenges which are which are specific to the kind of America's region?
1: Well, no, like uh, in the Americas, uh, as I, I said earlier, what we really seeing here is more this new trend towards the equity in diversity and inclusion, which is very, very key, you know, and I think they're going to be driving, right? So if you look at the, I I read a recent study from the OECD that says that now, you know, multinational organizations are employing more than one fourth of the global workforce, right? So these organizations have a huge influence on what's going to happen around employee benefits in the world. And if they do have captives in place, because they do have the additional flexibility they're going to be able to shape and drive a world with much more equity in place
0: yeah really fascinating and an angle that I had not really thought about before Ricardo to be honest well thank you to our three guests this week Heiko Ditzel of Adidas dr lena johns from maxis and of course ricardo almeida from maxis as well thank you for coming on to the global captive podcast ricardo all right
1: really appreciate richard thank you for having me here and invite me over again anytime
0: cheers we'll definitely get you on again stay safe stay well and see you next time captives